0: that's what it is to me it's the whole experience if people are going to spend any time with you and Uh they're going to come out of the house they have to really be wowed
1: hello and welcome to where the living room used to be a podcast about rhode island's music scene Hey everyone, it's James. For this episode, I catch up with the executive director of Blackstone River Theatre, Russ Gassetti. In our conversation, we talk about his unfortunate introduction to playing guitar that ended up being an overall benefit in his life. We also discuss how his small theatre came together and is now known around the world. And of course, we get into what you can expect from their 10th annual Summer Solstice Festival that's taking place at Diamond Hill Park on June 18th. Speaking of that, head over to Instagram or Facebook to follow where the living room used to be, because you'll soon find out how you can win two tickets to this year's event. Thanks as always, and I truly hope you enjoy the interview. To start, like, where did you grow up and what was your introduction to music?
0: Absolutely. I actually grew up in Cumberland, which is right where Blackstone River Theater is now as well. grew up about 10 minutes north of here. And... It was funny, James, because I used to, as a kid, I was huge into sports. I did baseball, football, all of that stuff, and was quite good at it up until age 12 when I hurt my hip and Mm -hmm. had it misdiagnosed as something, and I literally ended up on crutches for seven months which back when you're 12 feels like forever
1: yeah, yeah uh
0: but the interesting thing is that's when i picked up a guitar my folks bought me a, an acoustic guitar oh, Wow. and i started messing around with it a little bit they could see that i liked it and mm-hmm. they said hey would you like to take lessons and i was like sure and it that's my earliest memory so age 12 to really 17 end of high school i actually took uh, lessons individual lessons with a guy named Jim Hall. He used to play with a band called Tulsa Queen uh, over in North Attleboro place, oh, okay. uh, called Alan Gregory's Music. So would go there every uh, every week and take guitar lessons from him. And it was nice building on. I had learned to read music from my mom who played organ uh, and piano at home and sang in a choir. So I had that background already. Yeah. Um, but it was fun. Um, it was It was very interesting. But everything as a kid, it was just on my own. I'd play by myself. You know, when I went home and I was never in any bands, I wasn't in chorus or anything else in high school, Uh, again, with the injury, I I pivoted completely from being a sports guy to getting into the art and I became Mm -hmm. a visual designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my main thing is taking an art, art major in high school. So mm-hmm. um, it was funny, but yeah, that was- what kind of
1: stuff were you playing then? Like, or, mm-hmm. who were you, were there certain artists you were listening to and- No,
0: he really gave me the fundamentals of, of you know, scales. I would learn his country tinge. I would learn some Allman yeah. Brothers stuff and Wichita oh. linemen and, you know, all of that stuff. Cause this is what he knew, but he was great. He didn't push any kind of, right, he, he, he wouldn't push any kind of music except to try to teach me a certain thing from learning it, you know, okay, here's an F sharp minor chord. That's part of Melissa and you know, this kind of thing. So he would make it interesting. Uh, so it wasn't dry and just learning scales and learning the things by bringing a piece of music that I could listen to and, and mm-hmm. that I, would eventually end up liking. You know, when you're that age, I certainly didn't know anything. So it was kind of like being a sponge, and anything that he taught me yep. was really interesting and got me to listen to other music that I probably wouldn't have. But, you know, I look back and just when I'm talking to you now, I'm, now I'm like, it was really basically all acoustic based music, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting now. That's where I ended up—is doing acoustic music, and then eventually traditional music and, yeah, and Irish yeah. and Celtic. But that was kind of the basis uh, basis of all of that mm-hmm. uh, until until Pendragon started. Um, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you're
1: well known for playing and traditional celtic mm-hmm. uh influence bands was that the type of stuff you were listening to or, or no what, that, like, they, how did you even get into that
0: there's the the interesting part to me and it's it's definitely something that i try to share with especially younger kids uh our high school kids is i'm portuguese and italian i didn't even know irish music existed <laughs> i certainly <laughs> never listened to it until i started playing it and that's what it was i, mm-hmm. I graduated high school uh, in Cumberland. And almost within the f- two days after graduation, starting up at the monastery in Cumberland was a group called Cumberland Company for the Performing Arts, oh, which yeah, was a yeah. medieval renaissance performing troupe. They were just starting there. I was the first or the second you know, volunteer to, to get in there and really enjoyed what was going on. They were going to end with doing a production called The Fair at the end of the year. And uh, believe it or not, I actually took started to take singing classes, madrigal singing classes, um at the time with Nick uh Nicky Lennox, a great music teacher from Cumberland High School. Um and that's where I met Bob Druin and Mary Lee Partington and Mm -hmm. Doug Brunel, who graduated a year before me and we were taking the madrigal singing class. We learned a lot of that material, the vocal music, uh and then we picked up a few. Bob brought some uh Some folk music, specifically Irish music, to to all of us. We weren't even a band yet, but we started to learn it. So that was our set at the fair. Is a combination of that, and at the end of the fair, we're like, "Hey, this is fun. Let's continue to, you know, to try to do something." And Mm -hmm. you know, took a while to form what we were doing. I actually think our first gig as Pendragon was the Florentine Fair, which was mostly in Providence. I have a, my memory says that this was in Lincoln for some reason. Uh, but that was the first show. And then we continued on from there. And, you know, pretty soon it became clear that that's what we liked. We liked Celtic music. We liked Irish mm-hmm. and, and Irish traditional music, and Scottish music. Um, but again, not my background at all. I did not even know this existed. Uh, all I knew about Irish music was not about the music. I was looking at the Celtic knotwork design, you know, as I used to do calligraphy and all of that. (laughs) So I was coming at it from a visual artist perspective, because that's what I did in high school. And that's what I did when I went to Rhode Island College. I was a graphic design major. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was kind of looking at it from there, but I was like, whoa, hey, this stuff is really cool. I, you know, I certainly had no ethnic background growing up. I was, you know, Portuguese and, and northern Italian, but none of that music was in my house. So it was kind of a tabula rasa for me. It's like anything that came in. Yeah. And then I started hearing the storytelling and the you know, the songs were so fascinating to yeah, me. It goes really deep with that. Um, there. It's pretty cool. And it's yeah. funny, I do look I do look back even as a younger guy, before I knew there was Irish music, but one of my favorite songs growing up was "The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald" oh, okay. uh, by Gordon Lakefoot, And I look back now, and I'm like, "Well, that's like totally a ballad. That's like a that's like a traditional ballad. It's yeah. a storytelling song, and it's you know the same kind of repetitive, uh, you know, just getting the the story out. So it's funny that that resonated with me even mm-hmm. then, even though I had no idea what it was. Um, but yeah, we continued on and, you know, played a year at King Richard's Fair and then just started doing regular gigs around Rhode Island. Um, and, we, and we did quite well. We were able to, in the end, we played for 34 years as a band, which is an amazingly long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself and Bob and Mary Lee were, were in the band the entire time. Uh, wonderful whistle player, Phil Edmonds from Providence, was with us for 19 years uh, the great Ken Lyon was actually uh, a lot of people don't know that, but he was in the band for two different stints, but totaled twelve years. Yeah. So he brought his influences into the band uh, for a while, and that was amazing. Uh, we because Ken, you know, for those listening, oh, he was a, yes. you know uh, like a
1: famous blues guitarist, and yeah,
0: absolutely and, yeah. blues rock guitarist, and mm-hmm. and soul he played everything. He was an amazing yeah. guy, and he really brought a lot of. Love of that tradition. Mm-hmm. He was certainly did a lot of folk music in his time, too, and he brought that love, and he kind of saw what we were doing in the energy, and he liked it. So yeah. it was an interesting combination, um, and we worked in then Josh Kane, a flute player who at the time was 16 when he joined the oh, band, yeah, yeah. and that was fun to get a young you know, young musician perspective, Uh, and then for probably easily 15, 18 years, we worked with Kevin Doyle, who's a Mm -hmm. step dancer who we encouraged to become a percussion player as well. So when he wasn't dancing, he was performing with a band, and he became a great percussionist. So it's Mm -hmm. it's been an interesting, uh, it was an interesting, you know, time and different iterations of the band yeah uh, different kind of styles but we did I think at the end we did recorded eight CDs uh, one of them was actually internationally released on Beacon Records was the name of the label yeah and you could find it across the world um, that was actually produced by Johnny Cunningham a lot of people may know him from the rain dogs oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was with a band called silly wizard Scottish band and just legendary performer as well mm-hmm. as producer great guy who lived in New Bedford sadly passed away but you know it was it was great we had a we had a good time we were very well you know known and and respected regionally and and played about as much as you could without being a full-time band Mm -hmm. because that's the thing at the end of the day we all had other jobs and obligations you know family and otherwise but um yeah it was it was it was a lot of fun and uh so what year did Pendragon start we started in 1983. So it was okay. literally I was right out of high school and yeah. did that year at the fair. Fall of 1983 is when we started and then wow. we performed until uh July of 90, uh, excuse me, of 2017. Yeah. So yeah, 34 years uh and boy, I've seen a lot of the rise and fall of the of the music scene in that amount of time because yeah. it was things became hot, things became cold, trends went one way or another. Like when, with regard to your music, or just in our uh, music, for yeah. sure, it would be very popular for a while. Then it would be not so popular for five years. Then all of a sudden, something came called Riverdance, you know, oh, became yeah. <laughs> known, and and all of a sudden, people knew Irish music, and they actually knew what a step dancer was. I used to have no idea what we meant when we would say an Irish step dancer. Yeah. Uh, and then it gets a little less popular. You know, it everything rides in waves and. You know, whatever happens in the state when I was growing up, this was like a blues state. It was kind mm-hmm. of the, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, the Austin to Boston to Providence connection and all the amazing, you know, clubs down here in the back and forth with all the blues artists. Um, it, it, it's, it's been interesting. It's always been a great jazz scene. It's been great. Every Pretty much every genre has really had its day over the last three, three and a half decades. And that's great. If I find it a little trickier now, like this is great. We're doing a podcast. You didn't do that back a long Mm -hmm. time ago, yet there were three or four music papers going on, the nice paper, the new paper, the, you know, into the Phoenix and on Mm -hmm. and on everything motif. Now everything is, is everything has changed. And that's one thing I think everybody needs to know. And you find out really quickly, you got to keep on top of that. If Mm -hmm. you're in the music scene, whichever side of the business you're on. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But even with regard to your music itself, I mean, I've seen it described as, you know, taking a contemporary edge to some of this Irish and Scottish and French-Canadian music. And, uh, you know, a lot of that ties to the Blackstone River Valley itself. So can you talk a little bit more about, you know, just even the geographic location, you know, with regard to the music that you're making?
0: Absolutely. Um, And that's a great question. And it is something that we were very specific about when we tried to position ourselves as a band, we would call ourselves music in the Celtic tradition, Mm -hmm. we were making very clear, we were not people who were going to sing in fake Irish accents or try to be anything that we weren't. Mm -hmm. And we would write music and perform it in the Celtic tradition. It meant that we weren't going to slavishly try to do or be something that we were not we're kind of trying to tell the story of what happened when people settled here and then the different influences they would get wherever they were. Um, Mary Lee Partington wrote uh, the vocal part of of the tradition. Mm -hmm. Instrumentals are called tunes in Irish Mm -hmm. music and, and, you know, the vocals are obviously the vocals. She would write songs and found a real niche by doing songs about, again, what happens when you settled here and the mill traditions and Mm -hmm. growing up in the Blackstone River Valley. We were very Mm -hmm. site-specific in our marketing and the way we kind of tried to present ourselves And we tried to say that, yes, this is Celtic music. That's what it sounds like. But it doesn't mean we're going to do it exactly the way you know, it would be played in Ireland or in Scotland or in French Canada. We'll put mm-hmm. our little twist on it. Yeah. And that's when you started seeing things like Ken Lyon come in and he'd all of a sudden, before you know it, you kind of have a little blues bass mm-hmm. beat going on underneath this traditional tune. Yeah. Yeah. And we throw in some other chords that you would not, you know, ever find real, real, straight-ahead Irish traditional music actually doesn't even have rhythm instruments. It's just the melodies playing, Uh and that's what it truly is. So even a guitar is not part of regular Irish tradition, but then that came in, and then, you know, it's interesting to see the growth of the instrumentation and just, uh, you know, if you want to make it more accessible, that was kind of our thing. It's like, this is what our ears hear, and if we want to get our friends and people we know interested, we know you have to make it accessible and palatable to... um, to what they're, what they're hearing in other locations and other, other kinds of music. So mm-hmm. that was our challenge. And to be honest, I, 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 to this day, know it was a smart thing because we did make ourselves seem uh, different by our marketing of this is who we are. We're not trying to be this. We're not trying to be that. We're not trying to compete with a band from Ireland. That's not us. We mm-hmm. are this. You know, yeah. we are this Rhode Island band talking about, you know, the people, the people who at the time, the earliest earlier settlers of the, the Blackstone River Valley. And of course, there's many other ethnic groups coming in now. But the earliest was the Irish and the Scottish and the French Canadian mm-hmm. and uh, obviously Native American as well. And 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 on and on. Um, but it's it's that kind of story. We, you tell a story of growing up in this area. You're probably working in a lot of the same mills. You might have different jobs. You come in you get, face the same prejudices that others do. You might, you know, it, it, it's, the experience was very common. A lot of the music was very common. We'd play a tune and they're like, oh, that's my my, my pepper, oh, play yeah. that up in French Canada. And somebody's like, no, that's a Scottish tune that, you know, yeah. <laughs> my grandmother used to lilt to me. But it's like, it's the same tune, it's just from different locations and how you play it. And yeah, yeah. to me, that's kind of fascinating. I think that's Definitely. really interesting. <laughs> Um, and, again, it's the commonality of music. The whole thing is, like, there's no point in playing music to me if you're going to be divisive about it. It's trying to bring in as many people as you can and finding mm-hmm. that common thing, and then hopefully they listen and they're like, ah, yeah, that's a that's a different twist on the tradition that I didn't know. I mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. And hopefully they'll find more of it, you know? Yeah.
1: So with that, with, I mean, so many different players and so many talented people in this band, like, what was it like creating with them? And, like, what was the songwriting process, you know, pulling from some traditional stuff and then, you know, creating your own with it. Like, it seems kind of unique even with that.
0: We were, we were really pretty democratic about how things happen. Somebody would bring an idea, somebody, Mary Lee would write a song, have the lyrics, have a basic melody, Mm -hmm. and... Sing that in front of us, and we would all pick up whatever instrument we thought made sense, start playing with it, and it was just kind of done at that rehearsal, very organic. Phil Edmonds wrote a ton of uh, music uh, himself and brought it to the band, and and same thing. You you mm-hmm. just you'd play this, you'd take it home, use your recorder, or just do it at the rehearsal, and finally record it. You know, everything was mm-hmm. done on cassette back then, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just get it down. But it was it was. I thought we it was very nice because of that. It let everybody bring a piece of themselves to the table um as they're respecting the particular piece of original music that was presented to yeah. us so it was nice. it was different all the time. Bob wrote several tunes, and mm-hmm. you know I wrote one or two, but it was like that wasn't my forte. I loved putting my stamp, whether it's guitar or concertina, on it that way. you know mm-hmm. I, I would write a few pieces, but i I enjoy that part, and nothing more. Fun to me than arranging music and trying to do it a little differently, and you know, might be a changing a tempo or suggesting that hey, let's do this, or hey, put in that you know, minor chord there, and all of a sudden it changes the feel of something that might have been more happy. It's like, oh, wait a minute, that's kind of cool that it goes down there, you know, Mm -hmm. into a a minor area for a bit and puts a little twist on the lyrics that may be accompanying it. So, yeah, it was good. I, I think we did a really good job with that over the years, and uh. Yeah, it was it was nice. I look back on it fondly, and uh, yeah. even though I'm not playing uh, really barely at all anymore, I've taken a little siesta from actually performing uh, just to run the venue. But it was it was great. It was great fun, mm-hmm. and uh, enjoyed doing it. Such a great state to play in because it, it one it is small, so you can travel to several areas, but as you know, people don't travel, so you can play <laughs> up in Barville this time and play down in Westerly and play in Providence and play in Cumberland and you won't see the same audience. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's it's interesting and, and there's just so many beautiful outdoor venues that you can mm-hmm. kind of do that, as well as indoor. We did a lot of nice concert halls and, you know, our St. Patrick's shows and all of that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was uh it was very fun. Was yeah. Very fun. Yeah many as the man has left his home, to sail the seven seas, to seek his fortune on the waters, many miles from these, but the-
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you did, you know, a bunch of albums. Uh, One of them is live at Blackstone River Theater, which is where we are right now doing this interview. And I'd love to learn more about this venue, you know, as previously mentioned, or um, you are the person that is the director of this. And how did that come about? Like how, Mm -hmm. uh, what was that, like the kernel of the idea to, uh, to go into that type of a position of you know becoming a venue uh, operator you know?
0: it, it and it's like as most stories it's it takes a long and and kind of twisty course but it was yeah. in the middle of all of this of performing in pendragon i'm also a graphic designer so i used yeah. to do a lot of graphic design and press release work etc for not only pendragon but i worked for chance for for 10 years advertising their concert series and Belcourt Castle and the Cajun and Bluegrass Festival and you know designing CDs, et cetera, for bands. All of that together with the music that I played, I was kind of in this headset and had these bits of skills that all seemed to work together, which I then augmented. I joined the Valley Breeze newspapers mm-hmm. and I ended up working there for 20 years, just one, one or two days a week, but for 20 years, yeah. and saw the music business from that side. So with all of that going on, Uh, That kind of became a seed. Pendragon and specifically Bob and Mary Lee used to put on, you know, maybe three or four concerts a year at different places, you know, under Pendragon. Pendragon produces. And we would do shows, whether it's at the Providence Library or... um, We did used to work at the monastery with Cumberland Company. They do an outside series, uh, Friar Tucks Flicks for a Buck, is what it was called, and bring in musical acts there, and do some at the Cumberland Library. So we were doing, you know, we were doing sporadic presenting under the the arm of Pendragon for a while, and we decided at the time there was a building in Central Falls, actually right now, where the boats take off uh, the Blackstone Explorer Central Falls Landing, uh, Central Falls Landing, and for those who would not remember, uh, because it is a while ago, there used to be a, a one-story metal building attached to the original mill, which is still there, mm-hmm. and that was run for a little while by Cumberland Company, and then they went out of business, and we took over that building to turn it into Blackstone River Theater for a time, and we were there for, for 18 months back in, I think that was 1993 four okay. uh, did a six month renovation of that building and ran that for uh, it was about a hundred shows that we did over 18 months wow. um, which was pretty cool. but yeah, yeah. there was at, at a certain point you could tell there wasn't really the support there at the time for it. And we started looking around and settled on the building that we are in now, which is a former uh, it was the Unity Masonic Lodge. Uh, so a former Masonic home um, that had been vacant for almost 10 years when we came here and again mm-hmm. I grew up as did Bob and Mary Lee in Cumberland so you would drive by this we are for anybody who wants to know we are where Ann and Hope used to be <laughs> 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 tying yeah. into where the living room used to be yeah. uh, it, it, it's still on our directions on our website yeah. as that way <laughs> yeah. but we are in that area and it had just been a vacant really heavily vandalized building for 10 years mm-hmm. but we grew by it kept going driving by it and approached the then mayor at the time and said hey we've got this idea because we knew we couldn't you know stay in Central Falls and at end of the day they said hey if you can take care of the inside we'll help you with the outside and you know do some of that work and and thus was a really amazing partnership between a, a a town which is Cumberland and ourselves, and we started, uh, which God knows if someone told me at the time, but uh, ended up being four years and two and a half months of volunteer renovation wow. on this building because it was in such bad shape. Yeah, um, and we did most of it again by volunteer, except for the code work was done by volunteers. All the while, at the same time, we formed as a nonprofit because we knew we would have to to get in some money. And raised money and did all of that. So it was this uh, pretty amazing uh, effort. And then finally we were able to open in the year 2000, uh, fall of 2000. So we've been, well, (laughs) we celebrated our 20th anniversary during COVID, uh, unfortunately. uh, And that put a little... uh, about 18 months 19 months of not being able to uh, be active but here it is now 2022 and we're Mm -hmm. we're going strong and we've really expanded the building but we're now up i do about 40 concerts a year Mm -hmm. we have classes we do traditional arts classes a lot of music a lot of dance forms uh stone carving you name it a lot of different things usually five days a week here Mm -hmm. often on multiple levels of the building so it's really quite active as a an arts education center, as well as the concert venue, as we call it, we, we call ourselves, because we really are a cultural arts venue, mm-hmm. because we try to tackle all these different things. We have a, a, a showcase of artwork in the gallery. Yeah, We do community rentals when we have time and are able to open it up, whether it's a Cumberland Land Trust, doing a wine tasting fundraiser, or et cetera, et cetera, but to, you know, to try to be a good part of the community. And of course we've been doing um, our summer solstice festival which is really our biggest outreach event um, and we have done again we were going to have our 10th one <laughs> uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago and that got canceled and we've now uh, last one we held was 2019 Super excited to finally be uh, taking the plunge, and we've got our our next one, which we're still calling the tenth annual, because <laughs> uh, I'm not going to miss that. Third, yeah. th- third times a charm. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, June eighteenth. So the Summer Solstice Festival up at Diamond Hill Park in Cumberland, uh, which is about ten minutes north of the theater, um, and couldn't be more excited. Um,
1: yeah, it's, it, it's incredible. Uh, I, you know, I've been able to go several years uh, with my family, and it's just. Uh, super well-run festival, super friendly festival, and it's a great way to be exposed to a lot of this different music, even within, if you're a fan of like a certain artist, like Mm -hmm. you're bringing in these top caliber artists from Canada, from, you know, I'm actually not sure of uh, the lineup this year, but I know in the past, you know, people from Ireland you're bringing over. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, it's just a great way to be exposed to this music. Diamond Hill Park is a wonderful place just to spend the day. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about this year's festival and uh, what people can expect with that
0: day. Absolutely, and and I know you have come to it, and, and it's honestly, that's, as we always say, whether it's a the theater or the festival, that's our best friend is word of mouth because it's tough to describe these events unless you actually witness them Mm -hmm. and i'm still always amazed what we pull off up at the park because there's nothing there there is no infrastructure really existing we bring everything we bring in all the staging all the tents all of the sound Mm -hmm. gear all of the booths um and it's a it's an eight hour festival goes 11 to 7 o'clock we have four different stages that we create so they are all running at the same time uh, every band basically plays two times a day, uh, usually at different stages, and um, and there are usually, uh, I think we're right about at 40 craft and food vendors now, wow. so there's lots to be able to see, uh, and that kind of lines the paths as you go. There's some children's activities, uh, sand art and face painting, and. Uh, Marvelous Marvin will be there with his (laughs) circuits art skills, and we try to make it as you said. It is family friendly. It really is good for everybody. And the nice thing about the park is that it is very walkable. Yeah. Um, and you can get to these stages, you know, within a minute and a half, you know, Mm -hmm. walk. Yeah, Um, not super spread out. It's not really spread out, but we've yeah, well, a little bit less of that. A little bit bit of beaver damage (laughs) this year.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. Sorry. (laughs) But
0: But yeah, yeah, there are certainly shady areas and you know we we do try to we've carefully positioned the stages as best we can for not only shade but just for the acoustics so there's not as you know there's always overlap at festivals but we've tried to make it so there is as little as possible so Mm -hmm. people can really hear uh, each stage and and I mean the main thing is it is like I say an eight-hour festival for the cost of a single ticket and actually less than many single tickets you can be there for the whole day and that is exactly why. This is our outreach event. We get to go to a big space. You could fit a bajillion people there if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is free parking. I always tell people that yep. as well, too. Um, but it's it, you're right. It gives you a taste of a lot of music. And even if you know some of the music, I try to get a lot of the bands that people don't get to see very often or mm-hmm. often at all. Uh, several times there are debuts of people... Um, and I also try to feature some of the – it's always been part of my ongoing goal to get younger performers in at both the theater mm-hmm. and the festival and balance that out with the people who have been playing for decades, some of who are actual legends in the music. But it's that nice mix yeah. of ages and, again, their takes on the music, how mm-hmm. they actually perform it that I think is, is fascinating. Um, and we do have quite a bit of that you know we have everything from you know our local favorites with with that water donnelly trio mm-hmm. uh the eastern medicine singers we like to open up our festival all the time with the algonquin music with daryl jameson and his his uh group uh on stage uh Torin ryan who is a young uh ellen piper who kind of grew up here at the theater and he is now a five-time all-ireland uh champion on the illin pipes which is the irish bagpipes uh, wow. We'll be performing a set with Kevin Doyle, who is a uh, NEA uh, fellow. So he's an Irish step dancer who has achieved, you know, really the top, uh, top acclaim you can get nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be here and he'll be guest dancing with a few people. Uh, and then we've got the Myrie Black Band. Uh, she is a gifted award-winning Scottish fiddler uh, from up in the Boston area who will be here returning again. Uh, Jean Corum, we try to bring in, as you said, different bands, they are from Quebec. Uh, nice. coming down, absolutely dynamic band. Um, we've played at the festival and also at the theater before. Uh, Runa will be opening and closing the festival. They're an incredible five-piece band from the Philly area. Uh, but really kind of uh, known as, uh, I think they're 13 years into it, and really one of the top kind of super groups in Celtic music now. Okay. Uh, great vocals, great music, some step dancing with them as well too. Uh, also locally, the Vox Hunters, Armin and Ben will be here. Yeah. Uh, performing uh, a four-piece group called Windborne, which does all acapella music, which is really interesting. Uh, four-part harmonies to kill, to die for. <laughs> um, and it's really, really interesting with great stories about what they do. And then we also have a couple of, uh, for anybody into Irish music, that remember the band called Solas. Uh, and We've got John Doyle and Mick McCauley. Uh, John is an acclaimed guitarist. Mick uh, Accordion and a number of instruments uh, will be there. They were both in Solace, And Winifred Horan, who is the fiddler for Solace and co-founder, along with John, uh, she's got a brand new quartet uh, coming. um, And they will be there. I mean, these are really some of the top musicians that you can mm-hmm. see. And then we also have that local angle again with you know harp with Mary King and guitar with Ed Sweeney. Uh, Bob Druin from Pendragon will run the Irish session where interesting part of the festival where we invite patrons to come in and actually play oh, at cool. the Irish session and quite often and usually m- musicians once they're done with their sets will stop by for a little while. So you get to, mm-hmm. get to actually play with, with the music. performers which is kind of an interesting interactive angle um, Tiernanag Irish Dance, which is our local uh, Irish dance troupe here, and uh, we do have a special uh, tribute set called uh, The Music of Jimmy Devine, and Jimmy was a wonderful fiddler who passed away, sadly, uh, last year. Um, it'll be almost a year to the date uh, where he passed, and we've got eight of his top friends here mm-hmm. uh, who would play with him all the time, and also his, his daughter, Hannah Devine. Um, but they'll be they'll be performing a tribute set of of music that Jimmy wrote, uh, tunes that he wrote as well as ones that he really loved to to have oh, performed yeah. when he would play. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. There's uh, again some of the the real top players and people who are dear friends will be there for that. So really something for everybody. And mm-hmm. it's just uh, it it is a gorgeous park. If it's it's all about the weather though, if yeah. everyone <laughs> does a little sun dance, I'll be very yeah. happy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you can get. Tickets to this now, right, at riverfolk.org?
0: Yes, yeah, riverfolk.org, and they are online. Um, and they will, of course, be available at the gate as mm-hmm. well, but uh, they can't. you can order them online. And we also, I should mention, we do uh, also have, so after this festival, this eight-hour festival is done, and we've packed everything up, Uh, A bunch of us head here, all of the performers will head back to Blackstone River Theater and we have something called the After Festival Music Session and I do sell a very limited number of tickets, Mm -hmm. just sell 80 tickets to that event. Um, complimentary food a cash bar but the main thing is for three hours all of the musicians are here playing together so you get literally all of these top bands and you Mm -hmm. might have 35 40 people playing at a time playing some of these common tunes or trading off a particular kind of music it is absolutely amazing to witness and it's it's something that sells out every year Um, we still do have tickets because it's been three years since we've done it but uh, So highly recommended, and it's really... That's what it is. That's all about the community, and this really kind of shows that.
1: Yeah. A lot of fun.
0: That's 8.30 to 11.30 at night.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, I I did an interview with Armin from the Vox Hunters about a year or so ago. I remember him talking about that. Like, he... You know, for you know, I highly recommend if you know after this episode, go check out my interview with with Armin. But uh, that he mentioned that yeah, that was like one of his favorite parts. And you know, he's a volunteer here as well. And, yes. Uh, but just he, you know, shouted that out. Or just talking about just what the summer solstice festival means uh means to them and then to you know like yeah. just playing that special event and even just hearing it it just sounds like something that you want to be in that room it's amazing like whether you want to just be able to play it but just seeing these these I songs just, and just honest, all of them play yeah. together or whatever wherever else it can go just that you know i
0: just like, sit back and relax instead of play it it's like you just sit back and You're like oh man look at all of this amazing talent and everyone's mm-hmm. smiling and and kicking back like that it's it's the fun thing and you know this i don't care what kind of music you play it's hard to actually hang out with other musicians because yeah. you're always gigging this is one of the few times where people like are able to actually yep. be in the same spot and and kick back and trade stories and have a laugh and uh yeah it, it is something and yeah armin armin's a perfect example as as is aubrey and and many other performers people here who perform at the theater perform at the festival they also teach armin teaches ukulele here Mm -hmm. and aubrey does ballad singing and uh you know ed sweeney does banjo and dulcimer for aubrey you know it's back and forth this is it's kind of the cool community that i like that we've built here at the theater is that Mm -hmm. we're really getting all sides of the tradition the performance aspect but also the learning if you want to learn this music you can Uh, And sit down with some of these people learn from people that you see on stage There's like there's nothing to me more inspiring than that. It's Mm -hmm. really it's pretty cool.
1: say from my perspective what you've done and what you've been able to build has really put a flag in the ground for Blackstone Valley for Cumberland Rhode Island with that whole genre of music you know that if you're a Celtic music performer or you know or anyone like it, it just seems that they know of this place because of you and it becomes like I mean I, and I'm saying that because I look at the tour itineraries of these people that are coming through and be like, you know, such and such is coming over from Ireland, and they're playing here in Boston, they're playing there in, yeah, Philly, D.C., wherever these, like, you know, major market places. Absolutely. And not to diminish what this is, but it's like Boston, Cumberland, Rhode Island, (laughs) Philadelphia. New York. (laughs) New York City. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for for you and the volunteers and everyone that's been a part of this bob and you know just building the work into this and and being true to what it is you know but it's just it's great what you're doing to bring people to rhode island to bring these artists to rhode island that it, it you know admittedly it could be easy to to skip our tiny state just because Absolutely. of where we're geographically located you know like yep. it's easy for a band from Europe to go from Boston to New York I mean that's nothing you know like it's a three-hour or you know four-hour drive or whatever exactly but they make it a point to stop here in Rhode Island and um,
0: that is probably one of the things that makes me the most happy and proud is is that we have developed that reputation and it does come from everything that we do it's our Mm -hmm. my volunteers are amazing I have about 25 you know full-time regular volunteers over the course of a year And they know that you treat these artists who are traveling and working so hard with respect and give them a memorable time. And that resonates with a band. You know what it's like. Mm -hmm. You know what it's like to be treated well and to not be treated well when you go into a club. You know, sometimes you can't even get a glass of water, you know, or anything else. It's like if you treat them well, we treat them well. The acoustics in here are incredible we don't have a bar so I'm actually not competing if anybody has money they're they're buying the tickets one and then buying your cds or shirts or anything else yeah and by not having a bar it means people are really sitting and listening so yeah. they're paying attention and boy do musicians love that like there's nothing better to look out and just hear you know you can hear a pin drop and that's mm-hmm. what it is here it's it's you know, not that people are not super appreciative and you know yeah. and rowdy when they need to be, but it's uh, they really do respect the music. And uh, again, you just you treat them as nice as you can, and they will come back. And the biggest thing, just like any other network of musicians, they will tell their friends, mm-hmm. and that's what's happened. Now that we've been doing this for twenty years, I I honestly barely have to look for bands now, unless I'm looking for something completely new and want to mm-hmm. break them into our state from another country you know whether it's a new band from ireland or scotland and let's see if we can get them over but i i literally have to turn away half of what i'm able to present you know at least and stuff that i would normally put on but i just there's not enough hours in the day or, or weeks in the year uh to do it but it's that that's that is testament to me uh and and like i say it's it's having grown up in cumberland it's it feels great to do that in your hometown and mm. to create this wasn't it's one of the reasons when i left cumberland high school as a visual artist at the time but it made me mad because i knew how many incredible artists they were here whether they're musicians dancers visual artists you know Whatever it was, they had to leave. There was nothing. There weren't even art galleries around. You know, there was nowhere to show your work or to see it in Cumberland. So it's to me, it's really great. I just had a, an event with Cumberland High School students where I've started to the last several years. Not COVID, obviously, so before that and now. But they do a, a coffeehouse performance and they do a, a clef, which is their senior showcase Uh, the vocalists will do and do a concert here instead of just doing it in the foyer at the high school Mm -hmm. I said come to an actual theater and let's do it with lights and with sound system and you know real chairs and stuff and it's like again trying to let them know what exists in their own town Mm -hmm. you know and looking looking beyond so yeah I mean that's that's really it between not only the the local kids but also our audience Mm -hmm. is keep bringing in those younger bands keep trying to get the audience younger and Uh, You know, this has to continue to grow because people will, especially after COVID, people got very used to not leaving their house, obviously, Mm -hmm. because they couldn't. And it's hard to get them back. You know, it's it's, we're having to, you know, just like every other venue, you know, I hear from everywhere. It's kind of 40 to 50 percent down in general everywhere because it's still slow. Clearly, there's still COVID going around. People are concerned, especially if it's an older demographic. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it is just... uh, We've heard this before, but it's you got to have the stick to itiveness to continue on and to keep at least whatever you produce, produce it at the same high quality. Mm Because that's why when I have somebody come, I don't care whether it's a small crowd, a sold out crowd, whatever it is, it's going to be presented in the same way. And you're going to be treated the same way by the volunteers and by me. You'll have a professional sound person doing it. You know, all of that, everything that goes to make a a show good. You, you know yeah. what it's like. Hey, I just drove six hours as a musician. It's nice to actually be treated well and, yeah. you know, get a meal when you come in and have people say hi and be actually happy to see you. So, yeah. you know, that's a big part of it to me.
1: That, I mean, it, you're right. It definitely goes a long way and it probably is, uh, you know, to venture a guess, just coming up as a musician, you have that perspective of what you're kind of looking for. But yeah. Um, yeah, you know, like your the, the quality of music that you're bringing in, the caliber of music, you know, I can't say it enough that, you know, if you're listening to this and you may not be familiar with a, a name, any names or whatever. You probably but, won't. <laughs> um, but, like, check out a show at Blackstone River Theater. Like, you will be blown away by whatever it is. Like, you're not, again, like what you're just saying, that you just don't really even have the time and the, the week to put in something that isn't, uh, you know, of the top. You know top quality top, top quality you know highest notch stuff so uh just the the shows that i've seen here yeah it's just it's, it's a really cool experience it is great to have that engagement mm-hmm. with the bands mm-hmm. because uh you know the cap here is like 150 the capacity 165 is yep. yeah okay you know so it's a big enough place to be in a in a crowd yep um, but it does have that Listening room-ish kind of feel, without it being yeah. like a listening room. You know, you can you can uh, have that that experience and that interaction. Um, yeah,
0: back row but, is thirty-five feet from the stage. You can see everything. Yeah, you know? <laughs> if you're watching, you can tell what chord he's playing. Yeah. you can see what their yeah. face looks like. That's cool. Yeah. you know, it's nice going to big shows, but I love that intimacy yes. of being yes. able to see and hear everything yeah. like that. And 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 the band yeah. certainly reflect that too mm-hmm. when they can actually see faces and be able to, you know, to interact with people directly, it's a whole different ball game. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they're just up there by rote and kind of, you know, yeah. talking to the horizon line. You yeah, know? yeah, Here, it's like you're actually talking to real people, so. Yeah.
1: But just because yeah. I'm a music history nerd, uh, what are some of the memorable shows that you booked back in the day? Like, I'm talking, you know, those, like, wow. late, late 90s, early 2000s. Just... Um, do you remember any any of those shows or do you remember the first show at this particular building here in two thousand?
0: It was, it was more of a collaborative that we did when we reopened here. Of course, Pendragon was the host, and we had several other uh, bands, Anya Minogue, Celticarpist, and at the time, Tony Cuff, wonderful guitarist who's passed away. We had some French-Canadian. So we didn't start out with a big name per se. It was more like, yeah. hey, this is what we've been yeah. doing for four years, uh, and do all that, but you know, in no chronological order, um, and again, a lot of these names people won't won't know. But back at the old theater, it was a big deal. We got Tommy Makem uh, back in the day, a legendary Irish uh, singer, was at the old theater. Um, We've had, uh, I did have Dave Van Ronk here before he passed away, not long before he passed away. That was incredible to see him. Legendary blues and folk icon mm-hmm. uh, was down. And again, there's there's so many top Irish and Celtic names that I know people won't know. Um, but if you look up somebody like Doogie McLean, who's a legendary Scottish uh, singer-songwriter, he is the one of the, I can book him on a Monday or Tuesday, you know, and sell out this room three weeks ahead of time at the highest ticket price I feel comfortable doing. And it happens all the time. He's just that kind of guy as one yeah. single guy. And, and he is incredibly well-known, wrote a, a song known the world over as called Caledonia, um, but he also did the soundtrack for Last of the Mohicans. He did music okay. for Titanic. Like, he's a big boy up there. Mm-hmm. And when he comes over, he literally comes over and plays four gigs Usually annually, well, four on the west coast, four on the east coast. We are always one of the ones that have been on the east, coast. and that's like amazing to me. Yeah. I'm like again, again, he doesn't. He's like, oh, I do the big ones, I make money, and then I come here because I really enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? perfect. Though. And uh, so it's it's nice, but no, it it, it is tricky, and that's. Again, many, many big names that I would know, but it would be like saying John Smith to to most of the audience, (laughs) which is also why I don't have a a big side out front for the bands that are coming up. I'm like, people will just crash their cars and they're not going to know who it is anyway. (laughs) So try to be considerate, cause less accidents. But uh, no, my whole thing is like, take a chance on it. People who come here, I think now after 20 years or if they know me, I don't book anything except really the best music. and. Mm People, I try to describe it, you know, in my press releases and on the website. I always have video clips when you click Mm -hmm. on the picture. That's how you know. If you feel like you want a taste of something, just just check it out that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because just as a point, like, you are, uh, you know, covering
1: more broadly. I mean, we've been talking a lot about uh, Celtic music and stuff in that, but you have booked a lot of folk music. Oh, absolutely. Things, you know, they're bringing in Acoustic more bluegrass, blues, now, blues yeah. bluegrass. Yeah. So, it's know. not,
0: you know, again, to those No, it's not. I bring not in a, really a lot like that, of yeah. Scandinavian music. I've been mm-hmm. trying to do that over the last several years. Uh, do occasional classical, uh, occasional. Yeah, all these other styles, I will certainly mix mm-hmm. them in even though you know, if I look into it, and people think it's a lot more, but it's usually about sixty or sixty-five percent are Celtic, and then mm. the rest is other music. So there is plenty of stuff, yeah, you know, that is there that is is a little different. And again, some people think they know what Celtic music is, but again, depending on who's performing it and what they're doing with the music, you're going to hear as much, you know, bluegrass and you know traditional old time styles in somebody who says, "Oh, we're we're Celtic musicians," mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it sounds completely different, and it may be the kind of music you already listened to. So yeah. to me, that's great. It's a great gateway to to learn other music and to know to see what other top musicians are doing with the music is is pretty cool. And seeing their influences and how they put it together. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, you know, we've known each other for yeah. quite a while now. We serve on the the board of the Rhode Island Music Hall of Fame, and yes. Uh, you know, which we can talk a little bit about that, but I really wanted to talk to you more about the tune in and tune up program, uh, just because I think it might matter to people that are listening right now. So, can you talk a little bit more about that specifically? Um, yeah, which is a program it, of the Rhode Island Music Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, and it is. It, it began as a committee uh, of the Rhode Island Music Hall of Fame, where we're all on the board. As was uh, is DC Culp, Don Culp. Uh, Local drummer who's now playing full time with Beaver Brown, mm-hmm. um, and you know we would o- it would always come up as we as you know if you're in the music business we're throwing constant benefits for musicians who get sick and have no money. Um, mm-hmm. That was always the thing, and you know at least now there are GoFundMe's. It's a sad statement that GoFundMe's are probably the biggest fundraising you know mechanism <laughs> in the country at this moment. But we were like, what can we do? And, and it's a big problem. We knew we couldn't get into insurance except to point the way and say, Hey, we really wish you had it and go check it out. And here's some access. Yeah. It's too big. We can't handle that. It was all about awareness. So yeah. Tune in tune up was a Rhode Island musicians health awareness program, um, that we set up to, to do exactly that. We started and trying, trying to offer different workshops and symposiums came up with a website that had information, mm-hmm. um, basically just try to tell people hey take care of yourself go get a physical once a year do this and you know at least know that there is help out there mm-hmm. you know if you if you don't let it be too late and that's mm-hmm. what it is because that's cleaning up after the fact and just doing benefits we'll all keep doing it but it is frustrating when you know that people just ignore something for a while or just have not enough money yeah. working as a full-time musician to actually have insurance and then that spirals and gets out of control and so you know we we doing we're doing the best we can we continue we started out doing the unity concerts uh, down at the ocean mist when we began and um there's actually another uh show going on we work with uh, dr al perini is on our uh is one of the co-chairs and he is offering for the second year they have a big uh, Uh, Music festival that's happening June eleventh. That information will be uh, on the Hall of Fame website as well, too. Uh, But that becomes a partial fundraiser for Tune In Tune Up uh, Mm -hmm. as well. But you know, it is tough, and especially during COVID, not much. As you know, not much happened with many organizations. The one thing we did because we had raised enough money over the the previous few years, and and again, this is something to me that was tangible. And again, I think we can be really proud of as, as TuneIn TuneUp, but also the Hall of Fame is we ended up giving out $11,000 of stop and shop food cards mm-hmm. in $100 increments. And just made sure that, hey, if, you're, if you are a musician of any kind in this state mm-hmm. and you can show that you did not have, you lost gigs because of COVID, which of course everybody did. Yeah, yeah, um, but, you know, you, we had to vet it a little bit and make sure that it was uh, somebody who was a working musician. Mm-hmm. You got the card and we were able to do multiple cards for certain certain. certain people. And that is something that we'll continue to try to do because it's it's a safe thing. Everybody needs food, and that's one thing you can't afford. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing with the stop and shop cards are you can't buy alcohol, you can't buy cigarettes. So we know it's at least going towards healthy habits. And that's what we're going to try to do is continue to talk, and here's some healthy eating habits, and here's some different, you know, a lot of it is about information, because that's all we can do. Just mm-hmm. just like the Hall of Fame is a completely all volunteer nonprofit, Tune and Tune Up is even more so. It's yeah. just a committee of that, and none of us get paid. And it is it's a monumental you know effort uh, to to go forward, and we'll keep we'll keep trying to do it. But it, it it is it can be very frustrating because musicians still often are not proactive and don't really even when you try to hand feed. <laughs> Some of this info, they don't always help themselves. Or so we were, for a while, we we're like, give us a call. We'll give you $25 to, here's your copay for a annual physical. And I think we had, like, three calls. Okay. So it's yeah. it's really, it can get frustrating. You're like, we're trying to help you help yourself. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, there's no easy answer to it. And, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed. You look at the opioid ongoing crisis that is yeah. horrible in Rhode Island. It's, it's on and on. But anything we can do to help... And try to get people to pay a little bit more attention. That's that's certainly part of it. And on the flip side, with the Rhode Island Music Hall of Fame that we both serve on, uh, also a, a founding member as as was I, um, it's pretty amazing endeavor to be able to showcase the incredible talent that has come out of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Most of which people have no idea the history. You know, mm-hmm. you walk down uh, the hall itself is at Hope Artiste Village and. Is literally the hall, and you walk down. I think we have a little bit over 80 uh, actual displays celebrating. Mm-hmm uh the people who have been inducted so far and it's uh it's really an incredible educational experience and as a musician i find it quite inspiring and yeah. and you really do learn it's like oh crap i did not even know that that person came from rhode island and i certainly didn't know when you start reading some of the acclaim and awards and what they've done you're like oh oh okay yeah yeah. <laughs> i better go re- rehearse a little <laughs> yeah <laughs> time to practice <laughs> uh yeah it's 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 amazing and it's um I think it's a, a, it's an important thing because it's giving some validity and raising the profile of people who have worked so hard. They love what they're doing. Obviously, that's why everybody's a musician. But it's a lot of people will toil away, and it, it's nice. It's nice to get that respect. You've you've seen it at, at our induction ceremonies. The amount of gratitude from some of these top amazing musicians and they are literally struck, Mm -hmm. you know, really hard by how appreciated they are finally in their home state. You know, it's, it's, it means a lot, it means a lot to be respected by, you know, friends and family. So to me, that's been a a really, uh, a really amazing endeavor. It's nice. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just, it seems that it can, uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for the people, that have been there but it you know some of them have won grammys have won a lot of these other high awards and uh you know i wasn't at the grammy awards when they got it but it does seem that there's this, this something that is different about being recognized by you, the peers that you came up with yeah kind of reflecting back to that like core of who they are as a musician of like I grew up, you know, you know, such and such a person. I grew up playing guitar in my parents' living room, and that kind of comes together here, where yep. it might get, you know, glossed over at other awards because it's looking at, you know, their current achievements or their and their the super of sales and right. all these other types of things. we c- it's just this very homegrown thing. Yes, That's it's the an exact all word. Yeah, volunteer board of you know, we're mostly musicians, not all musicians, yep. but. Um many of us toured, many of us, you know, we run venues, we'd have all these other things. So we're coming from that perspective. And similar to what you're doing here at Black Sun River Theater, like you kind of know what um what aligns with musicians itself. And right. yeah, there's something that, that is different about that and it's an honor to be a part of it. And um and then yeah, again with the Tune In and Tune Up program, I mean that does hit so close to home. Just because it, it, there are uh Unfortunately, there are choices that need to be made uh, with the, the world that we live in or the country that we live in. Like there isn't a whole lot of support, so it's like if you need to work a certain type of job uh, to have the time off to go on tour or to be a working musician, those jobs. You know, and there's nothing wrong with those. Like, what those jobs are doing, but if you work at a coffee shop, they probably right. don't have the infrastructure to pay for insurance for these part-time people. So where's that gap? You know, and correct. Um, yeah, it's a it's a huge thing. At least you know, I'm I'm grateful that this organization exists. Just to hopefully bring a little bit more light into it. Hopefully, you know, we can get a, a, a few more people to yes, go get a. a annual physical or, you know, we've done stuff with, yeah, getting ear protection or uh, any of these other things that might not really be thought of. But yeah, when I've been playing for 25 years, my hearing is not awesome, you know, Um, and there's nothing I can do about it (laughs) except try to protect it now. So what can we do about protecting it now rather than it just getting even worse when I'm playing for 40 years or a year later, you know? Um, So it's just, it's really important. And yeah, there's information at uh, tuneinandtuneup.org. So highly recommend check that out as well. Um, but yeah, this has been amazing, Russ. And oh, I just have one so more much. question for you that I ask at the end of you know, every interview here is just, what would you say has been your greatest musical accomplishment to this point?
0: I I can say without a doubt that it is creating the space that is Blackstone River Theatre, mm-hmm. you know, that, that has already happened and that is ongoing. And the fact that we are really doing something that nobody else is doing in this area mm-hmm. and, and have become respected and known from the outside for doing it, it's, you know you know what it's like. You can't be all things to all people when you're a venue or when you're a band or anything else. So you try to find what you love, which motivates you Mm -hmm. and you do that and you do it well and try to find like minded people. So, you know, as much as I absolutely enjoyed performing for 34 years and, and all that came with that as a musician. um, Yeah, it's, it's this, it's really providing, because I think it's going to, they're going to be less and less venues over time. And specifically when you're talking something that is not a bar and that is not a huge place where you, you know, it's not a 500 or a thousand or 1500 seat auditorium, that's a different level and it's a different feel. This is truly a listening room that is all about the music and that's Mm -hmm. why it's here. And I love the fact that we combine the classes. So it's also the teaching aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to, I just, we try to be, (laughs) we try to be so, um professional yet still very simple and it's as you mentioned that homegrown feel of things it's it's i don't want it to ever feel stuffy and i don't want it to feel anything else but we're going to really present it well Mm -hmm. you know it it will be you will have the cleanest bathrooms you will ever see (laughs) you will have the best sound that you'll ever see you will have the best and nicest volunteers helping out that's what it is to me it's the whole experience if people are going to spend anytime with you and Uh they're going to come out of the house they have to really be wowed for them to come back again and to tell other people that and you know that's what I'm looking for it's it's I'm proud of the fact of what we're doing I'm really proud that we give a location for musicians whether they're traveling musicians or people who live locally to play because the people I book don't have a lot of places to play there's Mm -hmm. not a million you know there's not a million venues that will book the kind of music that we do. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that I can book, you know a, a harpist from Wales to come in and know that I'm not trying to fill the room. I just want to get them an audience because they're amazing world class yeah. players. and nobody's heard this music, and let's do that, you know, let's let's give them a place to do it and it may be they may come over and play in New York and we might be the only other spot, but it gives them another spot. Yeah. And makes it possible. So, yeah, I, I think that that is you know the, running a venue. There's like nothing cooler, and I know you witnessed it as a musician, and also being in an audience. That that moment when a band is playing and they really connect with an audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always there in the room, but there are certain moments where it's just like whoa, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. You just feel that incredible spark, and I, you know, that's that's really what it's about. It's like when they really connect and and in a small room like this, you really can interact that closely. It's uh, it's special. It's mm-hmm. really special. And that's kind of, I think what really drives me.
1: Yeah. Well, you're awesome, Russ, and take uh, inspiration for just your, uh, your drive and what you've been able to create uh, both, musically and uh with the venue here so thank Thank you you james for your time russ it's
0: no it's i really appreciate it and it's and i said this before but i'll say it now i love the fact that your podcast talks to all kinds of musicians Mm -hmm. and gives a chance to to answer and ask some of these big questions but everybody's perspective is different and if we all just learn a little bit and you know again it's just like me learn what other people deal with and what they think and like you you get to know them better and you can hopefully understand them better and that Mm -hmm. lets us all kind of interact you know moving forward in a way that's that's best for all of us I do have to say out my last imparting thing because it, it is something that I've lived with I think the best advice I could give to somebody in in anything really but certainly being a musician is just be open to things that happen that are not what you plan. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think of my life and I'm like, oh, okay, I I dig sports. Oh, I hurt myself. Now I play guitar. Oh, now I just found a band. I just played in a band for 34 years. Oh, but I'm also a visual artist. I guess I could do that for a while. Yeah. Huh? I could combine those two things and actually start running a venue i never plan to run a venue but you just leave yourself open (laughs) to the path and it's like because it's it's if i started out trying to do this i wouldn't even know where to begin but yeah you know it's kind of like don't block yourself off to to the possibilities that do arise it's like if you keep doing the work that you love it will find you i think that's it more than anything